0: may be seated. Good morning again. As we turn to God's Word, you may go to Genesis uh, 45. Genesis 45 is uh, where we will be studying from today. And last week, just need to do a, a good review here, last week we saw that these brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers who had sold him into slavery, who were always striving and things, they were tired out, they were worn out uh, because they were chasing these two motivators of fear and longing. They always feared this retribution from being found out about what they had done to their brother, and they would uh, blame one another because of it, and uh, they just had, had lots of uh, anxiety wearing them out there and ways they were trying to cover it up. And we know that they had longings. I mean, the whole reason they sold their, their brother into slavery was because they, they longed for their father's approval and acceptance. And uh, they longed to, you know, even the inheritance of the, the firstborn was going to go to Joseph, which uh, seemed bad to them. And so anyways... I talked about in our own lives, we we do the very same thing. We spend our our, our lives and our energy so focused on our fears and keeping those from happening. We don't want harm to come upon us. We don't want any sort of trouble. And so we spend all of our time and all of our energy worrying about those things, plotting for how to keep them to happen, and then use our physical energy to keep those things from happening. But then we have the the opposite side of that. The second, we don't have fear over top of us. We have longing, we said. That is longing for earthly good, earthly pleasure, earthly uh, things. We long for more of it. And so once again, we spend all of our time and all of our energy chasing after these earthly things that we feel will bring us happiness, bring us joy. And in the end, we are worn out because of it. And Jesus said, on the other hand, come to me, all you you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus makes it so plain that that the Christian life, yes, it will have trouble, but there will be a restful uh, essence to it, a restful aspect that that runs through the Christian life. And um, I even think about, uh our 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 favorite missionary paul you know of his life i mean he was always striving and pushing forward but there's always this calmness about him as well and always this joy you think about the book of philippians we studied through a lot of philippians at the beginning of the year and we looked at how many times he just says and in this i rejoice i rejoice i rejoice the dude's in prison for the book of philippians that's a prison epistle. And he is rejoicing. And he's still trying to get God's word uh, to more people and spread it. And yet he is rejoicing through it all. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what I want to look at today is, well, okay, Pastor Jeff, you, you, you tell me that we got to find this rest in Jesus, but I got to put food on the table. I got to finish my education. I got to take care of my kids. I've got to do this and that. You know, I've got to uh, do my, my job. Like, I, I can't just drop everything and then be restful, well, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, once again, that we don't do anything. I'm talking about we do things with a new type of power and a new type of peace and joy inside of it. And the problem is we have oriented our lives so, uh, so upside down that we do our tasks under our own power, with our own uh, uh, motivations and, and all of this, and therefore we walk away tired, worn out, burned out, and we really didn't uh, do as much as we um, ought to have done. It wasn't as, as meaningful. Me, uh, just John 15, <clears throat> we, we've looked at this passage a handful of times here, but John 15 Jesus talks about that I am the true vine. So there's the idea of this vine, this life-giving vine, and you are the branches. Like, we, we are the branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's this idea that God is trying to get us to bear more fruit as we are plugged in. As a branch bears fruit, only as it draws sap from the trunk, so do we. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here we go. Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so hold that in your mind. That without abiding, you can do nothing of lasting value. Am I saying that you can't go and put in your your time at work? No, absolutely you can. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying you literally can't go to work. Is he saying that you can't, uh, you know, raise your family or or whatever uh, task it is God gives you? Of course, you can do those things. But the question is, is it fruitful? And here's one for me. Is he saying that you can't go lead your church and preach a sermon under your own power? I'll tell you straight up, you can. I know from experience that you can do it under your own power, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about true power, true fruitfulness in that activity, right? Now that's, without me, you can bear no fruit. But he who abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Okay, so here, here's um, what I want to give you. There's the title and stuff. The title is uh, God's Provision Gives Purpose, but we're going to keep going a little bit. Here's our old schedule, okay? This is our schedule that's based off of fear and longing. Fear of bad things happening to me, harm coming upon me, going without, and longing. I want more. I want to experience more. I want to enjoy more. I want more possessions. Uh, so, you, you look at it here, and don't worry about even the points I put in. You put your own schedule in there. I was just trying to be creative. Uh, you got maybe work, education, family. That's the first thing that ends up on most of our schedules uh, for as we're planning our day, think of this as your life daily planner. You may not actually write out your daily plan. I'm telling you, this is a practical thing. This is actually how how you're living. So work and education and family come first. I mean, you know, uh, family. Like I think of my, my wife doesn't go to a nine to five job, but she spends her time taking care of uh, my, my our girls together. You know. So, anyways. Uh, you have that, then you have shopping. You gotta have food. You gotta have. Sometimes shopping is more than just necessities, isn't it? Let's go with Black Friday. Uh, so then you've got play and leisure. This is you know what you do. Uh, you're something you're excited about. Entertainment. Think of, think of entertainment here: football, basketball, uh, whatever your thing is. Running, mountain biking. You know whatever your thing is um, that, that you like to do kind of falls in there. Then there's upkeep. Okay, upkeep is something we don't often think about, but it is, um, so let's just use running, for example, which is my thing that I, I like. Um, there, there's a, a certain aspect of upkeep you have to do with, with running, like, okay, so I like running, and the first part is pursuing, becoming a good runner, a fast runner that can run for long distances. But then upkeep is, well, if I stop doing it, <laughs> then I, I'm going to go right back downhill, um, so I'm going to be in trouble after my shoulder heals because it'll have been so long since I've run. But this is everything that you have in your life. You think about your house, the amount of time you spend keeping it up. You think about your possessions, your computers, your gadgets. Um, you, you just think about anything that requires upkeep in your life and the amount of time that goes into those things. Like, oh, well, I really need to uh, go make sure that the, the boat's you know doing well. I need to get, make sure that this is... And so there's an upkeep to all of these uh, things. And then what do we have there last? God, if I have enough time. This is practically how most of our lives go. You say, no, it's not like that. Trust me, I talk to a lot of people, and I'm not afraid to ask straight up. And I even know in my own life, uh, in seasons, the way things look. Uh, In in my own life, the way things are, uh, rather. So think about that with John 15 in the background and with uh, with everything I've been saying about how we, we go through our lives worn out. We do those first four bullet points and they wear us slap out. Almost so so tired that we don't have enough energy to pursue God. Oh, I don't want to read my Bible right now. I'd rather watch Netflix because I don't have to use my brain. You're so tired from your activities that you can't even do the thing that really matters, according to Jesus in John 15, right? And then you talk about fruitfulness, fruitfulness, true fruit. I'm not saying doing the activity. You can go to work, you can go to school, you can raise your family, you can go shopping and put things on your table, you can do play and leisure, you can do upkeep, but none of those will be truly fruitful if we're not first abiding in God. And yet that is the thing that most often gets pushed out of our schedules. Am I right? This is just the way it goes. That is when we are worried about fear and longing. Well, I've got to work. I've got to put food on my table. I've got to get my education done. I've got to take care of my family. Uh, And then you think about, well, you know, I've got to uh, have these things. And then even pleasure. Well, I've got to provide myself pleasure with play and leisure and entertainment. Like uh, you feel like it's all dependent on you. And so God gets left out. And so here is what I propose to you. I mean, it's not that hard. I just put God from the bottom to the top. This is the way our schedules are supposed to look. Again, I'm not even talking chronological schedule. This is a schedule of importance. This is the way your priorities are supposed to look. God, seeking God, serving God, loving God, knowing God should be the priority. Abiding in Christ, if you will, John 15. And from that, you have the strength to do work, the strength to finish your education, to take care of your family, the strength to go shopping, to to, uh, have play and leisure uh, if there's time. I mean, again, these are the things that start to get pushed out of your schedule some. You say, well, how could I be happy if I don't have play and leisure? I promise. Joy does not come from play and leisure, but from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. I mean, we're chasing the wrong things. We've, we've bought into the lie of culture. Culture says, no, you've got to get your work done. Then you've got to have your necessities. Then you, you get your play and leisure in. Some people flip those before work. But anyway, um, you know, like that, that's what culture tells us. And then you, if you have time for you know, wellness or whatever word they would like to use, then do it. But I would say, no, first focus on God and the rest will flow out of it. It will actually be more successful, fruitful And you will actually be far less tired from it. That is what I'm proposing to you. Because we follow that first schedule uh, of God at the bottom, the old schedule, the old man's schedule, you could say the fleshly schedule, led by fear and longing. We're tired and we're worn out, and God receives very little glory from our lives. Uh, That same passage, by the way, John 15 He says, whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, right? That was John 15, 5. Then 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so it's not just us who who, uh, um, are suffering, if you will, uh, from this. God's name, God's acclaim, God's uh, reputation, God's glory, that is his uh, presence, his uh, renown in the world is lessened because we choose to do our lives backwards, and we're tired because of it. So there's a whole lot here. Um, we're worn out. We're not glorifying God. And at the end of the day, we're not accomplishing anything of true meaning anyways. So I would say, I don't know about you, that God's schedule, this new one, is far better. But I want to help you know, uh, see a little bit what that looks like practically so, I'm going to go to Genesis 45 and then even into 46 here. And we're going to read it because, again, I told you last week, I see uh, Joseph and even Pharaoh as a picture of the way Jesus and God have provided for us. And I, I guess I'll just go ahead and remind you that, that we have fear and longing. Well, Jesus provides this forgiveness and he provides this acceptance. And, and, or sorry, Joseph does, and we see that Jesus does that for us. And then there's uh, for longing. His brothers have the longing, and he provides the, the goods of Egypt, uh, Joseph and Pharaoh. And I say, God does the same thing for us. I've got one final thing I want to say. Uh, I was thinking this on my drive here. The problem is not fear and longing. The problem is fearing and longing for the wrong things. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God. You should. Don't fear man, what can they do to me? Fear him who can throw both body and soul in hell, right? And then it goes into like how much we should desire that God as well. So fear is not a bad thing. It's just fearing the wrong things, okay? Longing is not a bad thing. Would I say that you shouldn't long? Is that uh, an inherently evil thing? No, of course not. We should absolutely long for God, experiencing God, glorifying God, drawing others to God. We should long for those things. So the problem is not the fear and longing. The problem is fearing and longing uh, for the wrong things. But all right, here we go. So Joseph is going to reorient them, Joseph and Pharaoh. Uh, This is when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Judah has just shown the repentance of the brothers there in chapter 44. And then we pick up in 45 where Joseph reveals himself. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the, house, the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Again, they were terrified at his presence. This is all of their fears culminating right here that, that the brother they sold into slavery is now And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him. So he's saying, go up to my father, Jacob or Israel, whatever you want to call him. Go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. "...load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I, will, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat of the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours." The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and 5 changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. Then they sent his brothers, then he sent his brothers away. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. That is God's word. That's what we're going to look at today. This new way of life that Joseph is offering and Pharaoh is offering and that I would say God through Christ Jesus is offering us as well. Let's pray for a moment before we break this down. Father God. Would you free us from this self-imposed slavery we've uh, put on ourselves, Lord, of being under these masters of fear and longing, fearing the wrong things, or, or any harm that might come to us, any uh, ill will that might come towards us, and even longing for the things of this present earth. God, we have served them as slaves for too long, even though we probably haven't realized it. God, would you make it just so plain and apparent to us uh, that that we may have been chasing the wrong things at some level, Lord? And that there is some level of bondage that we are still walking in that's making us miss out on uh, uh, the relief, the the peace that you have for us. And that's making us miss out on bringing you glory and, and enjoying you. God, would you point those things out in our lives and then show us the new Way The new way to prioritize and orient our lives, God. God, please don't let this pass over the ears or heads of of anyone in here, Lord. I know that this can change lives. If we would but heed your word, everything would be different. God, I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So last week, I kind of at the end, uh, my last point, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it, it basically freed us to do what matters. When we have our fears calmed because God gives us forgiveness and acceptance, and when we have our longings calmed because God promises everything and promises to provide for us here and now, it frees us to do what really matters. God's provision gives purpose to our lives and so last week I gave you um, five points that I see from this text uh, that it frees us to do and frees us to change our lives. Um, I've reorganized those, what order I put them in, uh, and I've added one. So now we're up to six. Uh, but it, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll see with me, I, even the ordering I changed these, um, last time I didn't give as much thought to uh, order of importance and things. I just kind of spouted them out because I knew I wouldn't be able to go through them. This time I want to do order of importance because uh, God does give us an order of importance in his word of what this frees us to do, what God's provision frees us to do. So I just want to go ahead and get right into it. What I see as the most important thing, number one, we are free to spend time with the favored son. And I use that cryptic language because it's talking about uh, Joseph in Genesis But I'm talking about Jesus in uh, relation to our own lives. So, the favored son, we are free to spend time with the favored son. The number one reason, absolutely, the number one reason people say uh, why they don't read their Bibles, pray, go to church, uh, meet with a small group or, you know, fellow Christians is, well, I don't have enough time. I'm going to tell you right now, whatever. Area of life you're in, you have enough time because God has freed you. He has provided uh, for all your fears and longings. And now you are free to spend time with the favorite son. The question is, how are you spending that time, that freedom God has given you? Now, I see this in Genesis 45 uh, because Joseph, um, in his you know, forgiveness uh, to his brothers, uh, doesn't end there. So I'll show you what I mean. Genesis 45, verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he, and he said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. So Joseph, in his forgiveness, okay? And Joseph, in his forgiveness, is saying, Come here, come to me. I want to talk to you. I want to relate to you. I want, I want to do something uh, intimate here. So come near to me, please. But that's not the end of the story of this relationship he wants to have. That's him telling this forgiveness. Don't be distressed or even angry with yourselves for selling me here into Egypt. He already saw their repentance, by the way, in chapter 44. He was trying to lead them there and uh, trusted that God would. And and it indeed happened. They had this uh, spirit of repentance about them. And so now he's saying, okay, come near. You are fully forgiven but he doesn't end there. Here's what he says in uh, verse 9. This is how the rest of their life is to go after this initial uh, forgiveness and initial acceptance. By the way, which would correlate to our initial forgiveness and acceptance in Christ. Verse 44, five, sorry, Chapter 44, verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. So you have that come down. This is another closeness. You shall dwell, that is live, in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. Well, he's talking to Israel, his father. No, no. You and your children, that's his brothers, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. What Joseph is calling for there is saying, look, I don't just want you to come near to me at this time of salvation, at this time of forgiveness and acceptance. I don't want you to even take a vacation down here uh, to see me here in Egypt. He says, I want you to bring all your stuff down. Bring all your, your, your uh, animals, bring your, your sons, your in their children, your flocks, your herds, all that you have. And you shall dwell. That is, you shall live in Goshen here in Egypt. Why? And you shall be near me. Joseph is is calling for an uprooting of their past life, of living in fear and longing, and saying, come near to me, come spend time with me. Can I tell you that that's exactly what God invites us to do? In Christ, we have this uh, forgiveness, and he does draw us near in that moment, and he tells us, it's okay, all that you've done, it's forgiven, it's covered by the blood, and he gives us a hug and says, you're a part of the family, But then he doesn't say, okay, now get out of my sight, go do your thing, go live your life. No, he says, dwell here. You know what's interesting? Is that God actually doesn't tell us to move and dwell with him. What does he do? God dwells in us. We know that the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us, and that's not for no purpose. That is that we might be near him, spend time with him, get to know him. Married people, or even unmarried, you, just think about it. I don't have to tell you that that if you don't spend time with your spouse, that you're not going to have much of a relationship, right? It's really easy, and I mean, it happens in seasons. I know uh, my wife and I, when we have our kids, like we might be in the same room, but... <laughs> Not, not necessarily spending quality time together, relational time. And, and your relationship suffers because of it. If you have more hours at work or have to go out of town, all, the, all these things. like You know that in that particular relationship, there's a strain that's put on it. And the same is true with us and God. If we aren't spending time with Him, it is going to leave the relationship uh, more shallow, less deep. God... Wants us to come to Him at salvation, and to dwell with Him and spend time with Him, be near to Him, even uh, in the rest of our lives. You, by the way, can think about um, Jesus. Oh man, I've got so much to say. Trying to talk to someone about Jesus, and finally they said, "Oh, hey, I'm a believer." And I said, "Okay, cool. This is this happened last week." Um, I say, "Okay, cool. You're you're a believer," and. Um, then i say well do you go to church anywhere or anything no no we don't go to church anywhere and things you know what hit me right there was more than ever before there's a difference between being a believer and being a follower of christ i think that the person really believes in what jesus did died on the cross for sins easter's true you know christmas is true it's coming up you know like it believes these things but not following jesus jesus all the time. I mean, I was looking through it uh, this week uh, while I was studying here. Over and over and over again to all his disciples saying, follow me. Then in Matthew 16, 24, he gives this blanket, blanket statement. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would com- come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you see the uprooting that I'm talking about here? Joseph is telling and Pharaoh is telling the brothers, uproot your life. Don't don't even worry about it. Come down here, spend time with me. That's what matters most. Jesus is saying that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Say, well, it might hurt to spend more time with you. Deny himself. Take up his cross. That is a form of torturous death and follow me. Whoever would save his life—that is, I want to keep my schedule. I want God at the bottom. If I can fit him in, we'll lose it. Whoever, but uh, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Uh, John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant be also. There will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Do you hear that? If anyone serves me, he must follow me. You can't do it without spending time following Jesus. Matthew 10, 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is just this idea. If we're not following Jesus, trying to do relationship and say, how how do you want to shape my life? We're missing it. We may not be saved in the first place, but we're certainly missing out even if we have trusted in Christ. What does this look like? Well, vaguely, um, we, we see in the Bible, Matthew six thirty three, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's talking about food and drink and clothing. and that be, Don't be anxious for anything, is uh, Matthew 6 there, is what that's talking about. He's saying, hey, don't worry about all that stuff that you're afraid of. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus, by the way, is the herald of the kingdom, so we're seeking him. And all these things will be added to you. 1 Chronicles 16, 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. I mean, I could go on and on with other examples like that, but that's what I'm talking about. Seek the Lord, seek his strength, right? Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Seek the Lord, seek his strength, seek his presence continually. That's just doing this relationship with God. But I don't want to leave you there even. I, um, I want to get a little more practical And you take risks anytime you get this practical. If it can become legalistic or I can leave things out, I'll probably do both a little bit um, on accident. Uh, So practically, what does this look like to seek his presence continually? I would say first, uh, God's word. Okay, do some some mental math with me real quick. God's word is written form, but John 1, 1 tells us that the word became flesh, part of abiding in christ is is reading his word letting god speak to you and, and don't be worried about what people are saying these days oh this is just a, a religious tradition put into a book no this is god the god who created everything runs everything and who ultimately reigns over everything speaks to us through it specifically in christ the word who became flesh nowhere else do you have god's infallible speech to you and I'll tell you, in my, uh, my marriage world, if I'm not listening to my wife, there is no good relationship. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm not listening, actively uh, listening to my wife, and it's funny, with kids, I, I do. I turn off my ears because I'm, I just hear constant, you know, talking, and talking. And she'll be like, Jeff, are you not listening? I'll be like, oh, I thought you were talking to the kids. I don't know, like, we're, always conversations going on. And so, uh, yeah, I've got to turn back on my, my ears and listen, and for us, that is listening to God speaking to us. God's Word is the only place where we can uh, hear His infallible Word, and it should absolutely be the place where we primarily listen to Him. So spending time with the, the favored Son, spending time with the Word that became flesh, is spending time in God's Word. By the way, you can do any of these things that I'm going to tell you without spending time with Christ, right? You can read your word. You can, do, uh, you can read the Bible and, and do all these other things without spending time with Christ. So you've got to make sure you're, you're seeking his presence. That's what you're doing. You're not just uh, seeking to read a book. You're seeking the presence of God. The next one I, I believe uh, is all through the Bible is prayer. So God talks to us through his word. Prayer, we talk back to him. Prayer is where we speak to God. Again, relationships need a back and forth, this dialogue. And so this is where we talk to God, and this is where we make our requests of Him, and where we ask Him to intervene in our lives and the lives of those around us. Prayer is where we cast our cares on God, and He actually listens. We're actually commanded to cast our cares on Him. You know that, right? Cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. And then we have that again in Philippians uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer, we've got God's word, God speaks to us, that's normal for any relationship. Sorry, yeah, God's word. Then prayer, we speak back to him, asking that these things would be made real in our lives and the lives around of those around us, letting him know our troubles and our cares. Again, if you got a, a friend that like, is like, you know what, don't tell me about your junk. I don't, I don't want to hear about it. You're not going to have a good relationship with them, but God is the exact opposite. He literally says, I need to hear all of the junk going on in your life. <laughs> I want to hear it. Um, it's just so amazing that God wants to relate to us in this way thirdly i would say meditation meditation is not an eastern practice primarily i mean it's just a biblical practice that means thinking on thinking on uh you know setting your mind upon this is what uh brother lawrence calls practicing the presence of god i don't know if you've ever read that book practicing the presence uh, by brother lawrence and he was just a, a devout man who said I can't always be reading my Bible, and I can't always be praying, but I can always live in light and think in light of the fact that God is here right now. Because God says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the, the age, right? And so he says, well, God's here, God's with me, and he, you think on God's attributes. God is looking on me, and he's looking on me kindly and lovingly. He's trying to take care of me, he's trying to lead me as a shepherd. And he, that's, that's, he's meditating, and we can do this while God's word is in front of us, and we should. You need to engage your brain um, and think about that God is present with you as you're studying, it, and God is speaking to you through it. But then when we walk away, we can still think on these things. That's meditation. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's that's meditation. You're setting your mind on it continually. You can still be going to work and working on your education. You can still be shopping and even doing leisure things, but you're still thinking on God. And then I would finally say community. I, I can't spend long here, but community. I, I believe that, strangely enough, it doesn't always feel this way, but because God's Spirit dwells in you, when I spend time with you, I'm spending time with God, and God is uh, loving me through you, and hopefully vice versa, Um Again, it's possible to spend time with other Christian people without spending time with God. But as we're seeking God and we're seeking to bring him into our relationships, God will work through it and speak to one another and love one another. And we'll actually be experiencing God through that. Hebrews ten twenty four to 25 says, Then let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is just part of what we do. We're encouraging each other towards God, towards experiencing God, towards think- seeing God, uh, um, thinking on God. We do that in community, and thankfully we're doing that right now. Uh, we are meeting together, um, but I, I would say that, that I think that it means more than just coming on Sunday and then going. I think community, true Christian community is more where we uh, meet with people at a serious level and we can we can talk with them and relate uh, to them and pray for them. Right. I think about uh, James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and it's working. That was my Bible study yesterday morning is why that's on my head. Um, so, we have these four ways to spend time with God. Where does this go in the the schedule of our lives? The top the top priority should be to spend time in God's word, prayer, meditation and community. Those should be the top priorities of our lives. We'll 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 get further but I've got so much more to say that I won't even have time to say, but that's okay. Um, if you want to do anything of worth, and if you want to not be worn out and burned out by the end of it, you must abide in Christ first. That is your primary thing to do. And you say, well, are you sure about that? Remember the the, the story of Mary and Martha? right? It's in uh, Luke 10, verse uh, 38 to 42, or maybe 41. Anyway, Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Uh, you remember Martha is working, 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 try, trying to do all these things. And she gets mad because Mary's sitting there with Jesus, right? She's like, Jesus, tell her that she should be helping me around the house. And what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, you're worried about many things. But your sister, Mary, she has chosen the better portion. She has chosen the needful portion, and that is spending time with me. So listen to me. Even if I am a Martha to you, I say, look, you better serve this church better. You say, look, I would, but i got to spend more time with Jesus. That's okay. <laughs> Jesus rebuked Martha. Jesus loved Martha. They're, they were good friends. Like we, we don't see Jesus have this type of friendship everywhere, but he did with them, and, and yet he still tells her, "Like, look, she's doing the right thing. So I'm, I'm telling you for your lives, whatever else you think is pushing for your time, Spending time with Jesus is the needful thing, according to Luke 10, Jesus' own words. All right, so that's number one. Free to spend time with the, the, what is it, the favored son. The second thing that I see here is free to love one another. I promise we're going to gain a lot of momentum now. We're not going to spend as much time on each point. We've made it through number one. Free to love one another. Why did I choose that second uh, in my list of what should be our priorities? A a, a scribe one time asked Jesus, what is the greatest command, right? (laughs) What did Jesus say? Let me see here. I might have it written here. Anyway, Jesus said uh, the the greatest command is, hear, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. So that was number one. Spend time with the Son. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Whoa! Jesus explicitly said it. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love God, that's number one. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So I would just say love others, love one another. Where do I see that in Genesis well, once again, we, we see um, first Jesus gives them that forgiveness. He says, you know, don't be distressed or angry at yourselves there in uh, verse 5. But then in verse 24, after he's instructed them to go to Egypt, this is what he says. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. What, he, what he's saying is, look guys, I've let you off the hook. I've provided forgiveness and acceptance so you don't need to blame one another anymore. You say, blame one another? Yes, look at, um, oh, I don't even know where it is now. I've got this so out of order. Basically, Reuben blames them. I think it's chapter 42. This is what happens when I use my mind instead of just my notes. Anyway, I, I won't worry about it. But Reuben says, did, did I not tell you that, that we shouldn't uh, do this to him? Hmm. Anyways, yeah, that, that, so they were blaming one another evidently. And then even just trying to get the upper hand on one another. They literally sold their brother into slavery because their longings were so strong. They were not loving one another. They had let their fear and let their longings take over their ability to love one another. But Joseph is saying, look guys, I've provided forgiveness. I've provided acceptance and I've provided everything your hearts could long for. Now you are free to love one another. You are free to love one another. That was Genesis 42, 21, by the way. And Reuben answered, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now here comes a reckoning for his blood. (laughs) That's Reuben blaming his brothers uh, for, for selling Joseph into slavery. This is absolutely true for us. When we recognize that God has provided forgiveness, provided acceptance, provided for all of our right now needs and all of our future longings, we are free to love one another radically. Like, we're not talking like just a little bit of like, you know, give them a little Valentine cutout uh, when that time comes or, you know, a smile. I mean, we, we can radically love one another. I think about Colossians 3 Verses 12 through 14, this is because of what Christ has done for us in in the flow of Colossians 3. Because of what Christ has done for us, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. That is, it is sometimes difficult to do life with one another, but we bear with one another. But he goes on, Uh, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, even more than just bearing with and and forgiving one another, above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We are free to do this. You say, well how, how does that actually make us free to love one another? Well, I would say, first, being selfish and spiteful makes us miserable. Seriously, the most miserable people I've ever known in my life are those who are the most hateful to others. It is eating them away from the inside. It will make you miserable to serve yourself all the time. And loving others leads to greater joy. Uh, Galatians five twenty two to 23 is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? It is uh, said by most uh, commentators that those are um, successive. That is, the one fruit leads to the other fruit, and then that fruit leads to the next fruit, and that fruit leads to the next fruit. Now, if that's true, let's think about the order of the fruit of the Spirit. We're now free to love one another, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, which then leads to joy, which then leads to peace, which then leads to patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see that? By loving others, self-giving love of others, it actually leads to joy and peace. So are you free to love one another? Yes, it is free, and that may sound self-serving, but that's the way God has wired it, is to actually not be self-serving is where you will be In essence, serving yourself because uh, you know that God will give you the joy and the peace that you need. And so please just understand when I say like our schedules, right? Our old schedule and our new schedule. The old schedule is lying to us saying that those are the most important things. I'm telling you, God's order of priorities are so much better. You say, well, if I I love them right now, then, then I won't be able to do this. I promise you it'll be better. It will lead to joy and peace. We just got to believe God. It really does all fall, come down to faith. God, God tells us this, this will be the better way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But we say, eh, I'll keep it for myself. I'll, I'll fight for my own place. You think about, again, Philippians 2, uh, doing everything out of uh, selfish ambition. But it says, nope, count others more significant than yourselves. That's, that's actually the way. We are free to love one another. What a beautiful thing. And with that... Number three, whoop, with that we are free to work, but not be consumed. You say, okay, so far you've talked about loving God and loving my neighbor. That sounds like I just need to, like, be this this uh, unproductive person never does a thing. No, once again, people in the Bible, the ones that we we look to, they were not lazy people. They worked hard, but they were not consumed with their work in the sense that it kept them from what most matters again we already talked about martha um, there in luke 10 that she was working and we're free to work but it was actually keeping her from doing what really mattered in that moment so we are free to work but not be consumed oh i should show you that from genesis 45 um not not just my thoughts Uh, Verse nine, he says, uh, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and herds and all that you have there. I will provide for you. I'll pause there. So he said two things. You're going to come to Goshen, which is a uh, productive, like actually very nice. Uh, land for having flocks and herds but you can bring your flocks and herds so he doesn't say you guys have to quit your jobs he says now bring them down and and you can work your flocks and your herds right he says uh there bring your children your children's children your flocks your herds and all that you have so you're going to continue your job just because you become a christian does not mean you have to necessarily quit your job it may uh, but that's not that's not the necessary uh thing but then he goes on and says, verse 11, there I will provide for you. Okay, this is a paradox, a little bit. You can work, but you don't have to work like your life depends on it. That's, that's what he's saying. I'll provide for you, but, but you, you can work. And God says the very same things to us. In fact, we are commanded in the Bible to work, by the way, not to be busy bodies, uh, but, but to work so that we have something to share. Uh, it says in, in uh, one of the Timothy's, I can't remember. Uh, but we, we have God who has said to us, Philippians 4, 19, My God, Paul says, will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. Well, is God really going to be able to handle that? Well, it's according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a lot. God has, has an endless supply of provision for you. That has been promised to us. But again, Uh, and, in uh, Thessalonians, it says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So it's like, well, okay, well, which is it? Do I work or do I not work? Well, both you you work, but you work as though God is still providing for you as though he will take care of you. You work, but not as though the world rests on your shoulders. I think about different motivations to work. Um, some people work hard because they're like, well, if I don't do this, then I won't have enough money to pay the bills and put money or food on the table. Hope you don't put money on the table. Kind of weird. Um, you know, I, I, and there's this fear driving that. Others say, well, if, if I don't work hard, then I won't be able to buy the things that I want and have the security that I want. Others say, well, if I don't work hard, then I'll be letting all these other people down because they depend on me. Whatever your motivation, though, is, God has provided. And, and it, it's not like that. God will provide for all of your needs. God has already provided everything that you need right now and ever could long for uh, for, for the future. So we don't have to fulfill our fleshly longings right now, uh, our earthly longings right now. And the world really does not depend on you. Again, Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, is in the context of, well, but what, where what will I eat? What will I drink? What, what, where will I get clothes to put on? He's saying, look, just seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. I'll take care of it, God says. So you can work. You should work hard. Christians should be great, hard workers. You know why we should be such great, hard workers and positive workers? Well, because we've been doing number one and number two. We've been loving God. We've been uh, abiding in Christ. And then we've been loving our neighbor, and we're finding joy and satisfaction in that. And then we can work, and we're working from a place uh, of, uh, of fullness. We're working from a place of satisfaction rather than, well, i got to put in my... Put in my my eight hours, nine hours today. Got to put in my 40, my 60, whatever hours you work. Let me give you an application. We need to ask ourselves, is my job, my work, my education, my whatever, keeping me from loving God and spending time with Him? Is, Is that keeping me from loving God and spending time with Him? My job, if the answer there is yes, then something needs to change. I don't know exactly what that will be in your life, but I would say don't be afraid of doing radical things to do, to, to obey God of seeking first the kingdom. I mean, I'll tell you, for, for fighting lust, Jesus talks about cutting off your hand and gouging out your eye. I think messing with your job hours is okay. It, like God can take care of you if you're seeking Him. And So I'll tell you this. I'm just going to make a blanket statement, and people may not like this, and, and that's okay. I am I'm, I'm promise I'm looking out for you. It may be best that you tell your boss, hey, I need to cut down my hours. I'll take a pay cut. It may be best that you say, no, I don't want that uh, promotion, or I actually need to be demoted because I've got more important things to do uh, in this life. And some of you need to quit your job altogether and get into a different field uh You remember, I mean, the things we need to do spend time in the Word, spend time in the prayer, spend time uh, with community and and meditating on God. If your job is keeping you from doing those, you just need to get out of it. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what you have to do. I'm saying that that would not be too much. And you can still trust that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of you. Now, if you're thinking, sweet, I get to quit my job, you're probably uh, barking up the wrong tree there. If this, this sounds like. <laughs> but if you're saying, okay, I want more of God, I want more of Him, to abide in Him, to be filled with Him so that I can pour it out at work, then, then maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe quitting your job is what you need to do if it's keeping you from those at least four things that, that um, I've given you um, that it means to spend time with the favored Son. It's too much the god of the universe like he's got you don't worry about it anyway verse four not verse four sorry uh, number four we are free to to possess but not be weighed down free to possess that is things to pursue things and i would even say experiences but not to be weighed down by those material things or by those experiences i love uh, what pharaoh says in verse 20 he says to the brothers have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. He's saying, guys, hurry up and come down here to Egypt. Go up and get your father, get, get your families and your, your flocks and herds, but have no concern for your goods. Why? For all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Don't, don't worry about uh, what, what things you have material possessions. And I would again add in our uh, context uh, experiences and things like that. And, and again, I, just, I need to emphasize, it's okay for you to have things. It's okay for you to have possessions. We don't have to sell uh, everything we have or burn it all. It's okay to have experiences, to go places, to do things. But what we cannot do is let those things drag us down. Just like work, we need to work. We're commanded to work, but do not let it consume you. And this, it's okay to have. It's okay to uh, even pursue some things, but not be weighed down by them hebrews 12 1, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us that's this picture of um people run right now with rucksacks they're called and it's just weighted bags um and I, i've done it a little bit I, I really hate it so i don't do it much um You know why I hate it? Because it makes me super slow. (laughs) You wear a heavy bag, like a military-style bag. Excuse me, and it slows you down. And that's that's what uh, Pharaoh sang, and that's what God is telling you. You got a race to run. You don't have to bring the bring everything with you. Don't don't be weighed down by it. You got a spiritual race to run, and if, if there's anything that is just Dragging you down, keeping you from running that race with endurance, then cut it off. Get rid of it. If there's any material thing that you're pursuing or even already have, and that's consuming you and keeping you from doing what matters, get rid of it. If there are any experiences or whatever that are keeping you from God, get rid of them. Don't, don't bother pursuing them. Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see that? The reason we can keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what we have is because God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Those possessions won't make you happy. There's always that joke of like, uh, money won't make you happy, but a jet ski might. It won't. Like, that's just a a funny whatever thing I've seen online before. Um, that, That, again, the world is lying to you. If it if you believe that those things, those possessions or experiences will make you happy, we can be content with what we have. For, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you're free to have stuff. I'm not, not telling you you can't have things. But we've got to ask ourselves, is this thing or this experience helping me to love God and others? Or is it distracting me? Is it keeping me from maximizing my love for God and for others? we got to ask these things. We're free to possess, but not be weighed down. Next is free to obey. Basically, I'll just tell you, the brothers were happy to obey. They went up to Egypt. They convinced their father to come down. That's uh, verses 25 to 28. We already read it. But but again, we, we sometimes are afraid of obeying God. But we gotta, we got to see things like this. Um, Psalms 84, 11 and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. If God tells you not to do something, then it is not a good thing for you. Don't be afraid of obeying God's commands. And if God is telling you to do something, even if it's difficult, he is giving you good things. Romans 8.32 How do we know we can trust God? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not trying to rob you. Satan is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly, says Jesus. Don't be afraid to obey God, even on the hardest of things. It will be a difficult season. I'm telling you, you get into a rut of sin... You get into a rut of sin, it's hard to get yourself out of that rut. Pride, greed, lust, whatever that rut of sin is, it is difficult, it is painful to get out of it. But you can trust God that it's so much better to be out of that rut, free out of that rut. Jesus says in John fifteen eleven, 11, um, again, right after saying, you obey. Um, I'll read 10 first. If you keep my Father's commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So that's obedience. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's one of my favorite verses, by the way, because I just have to always keep it in my mind, like God is better than this sin. God is better than this selfishness. God is better than this money. God is better than this lust. God is better than whatever thing, this unforgiveness. God is better than all of this. It will hurt at first, but his joy will be in it. Number six, I'll give you. We are free to sacrifice. Not just do the bare minimum. Uh, 46.1, so this is the next chapter. It says, so Israel, that's their father Jacob. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. You say, oh, well, he's a patriarch. They offer sacrifices. This is in the middle of a Famine. In chapter 42, the whole reason they had to go down and face their brother was because they had run out of food. In chapter 43, they have to go back down to Egypt because they ran out of food. And now, on this journey down, he decides to offer sacrifices of his animals. I mean, these are expensive things to be to be offering sacrifices, and these are needful things. If you believe, you know, well, I've got to provide for myself, I've got to have food, I've got to have enough then you're not going to make sacrifices, right? Well, no, uh, no, no, I've got to protect myself. I've got fear, so I've got to hold on. I can't sacrifice these things. Or, or I've got, I, I want more, so I, these, these animals, they're going to reproduce, and I can make more off of them. We've got this longing. So no, no, I'm not, I'm not letting go of these things. I'm not sacrificing them. I'm not going to be generous with them. But what we see here is Israel, Jacob, believes in what Joseph has promised to provide. All of Egypt will be yours, they said. The, 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 the fat of the land, the best of Egypt will be yours. This is, what, this is what was promised by Joseph and Pharaoh. And because he believed that, because he believed he had a greater possession coming, he was willing to let go of it here and now, to sacrifice here and now. There's, there's so much that we could talk about there, but... Do you feel that freedom to sacrifice here and now because you know that, that you not only have an inheritance in heaven, but you're actually storing up treasures in heaven by that sacrifice now? I mean, It's an interesting dynamic, it is, but it takes faith to do that, doesn't it? How can a person possibly feel free to sacrifice? Well, I'll tell you how you won't do it. You won't do it if this is what your schedule, your life schedule looks like. If God is something you fit in maybe at the end You won't be loving others, you won't be working hard but not consumed, you won't be possessing but not weighed down, and you won't be uh, obedient gladly, and you won't be sacrificing. Why? Because your work is running your life. Your, your, Your shopping, your play, your leisure, your entertainment is running your life. But if you take up God's new schedule, priority schedule, put God at the forefront, then it all can flow from that, You're loving others, you're working hard, best worker at the place, but you're not consumed by it. Possessions, you have things, but they're not weighing you down on this race. And you're obeying God, and you're even willing to sacrifice, to be generous. And you might say, well, I don't have anything to sacrifice. I could just point you to 2 Corinthians 8, 5, 8, 8 verses 1 through 5, where they gave out of their poverty. And so he says, the wealth of generosity in their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. (laughs) They gave and they didn't even have it to give. And for every Christian, we're told, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your whole life should be sacrificed. If you have great abundance, be generous, ready to share, Paul says in First Timothy. Be generous, ready to share. Set your hope on God, not on the money that you have, but to the poor. It says that you can give beyond your means even. Where, wherever you fall there, we present our lives as a living sacrifice. You are free to sacrifice the here and now because you know it is stored up for you in heaven. You, we've all listened to this sermon. I've told you I would bet nothing new. The question is, are you going to let your life be changed by it today? Have you let God, the Spirit, speak to your heart and say, you know what, I do want to change my schedule. I want to change my priorities to seeking God first, to loving others, and finding my joy in that to be able to do everything else. Because I'm tired of being worn out. I'm tired of being fruitless and joyless. Let's ask God to make that happen in our lives and plan for it to happen in our lives as we go out through our week father god we thank you that you do not lay a burden on us that is too heavy to bear but rather you say take my yoke upon you it is easy it is light what a beautiful thing that we can plow forward do things of true meaning with the yoke of jesus upon us yet it is light and easy God, free us from fearing the wrong things and longing for the wrong things, God. Anyone in this room that does not take up the new schedule of priorities that you give, it is because they fear the wrong things and long for the wrong things, myself included. And God, free us from that addiction to believing we know better than you, Lord. And let us take up this new schedule of priorities that puts you first, that seeks the kingdom first, that seeks your presence continually, that reads your word, that prays to you, that meditates on you, that meets with fellow believers to be uh, stirred up to faith and good works. God, let us love one another generously, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, just as you have forgiven us and putting love on it all so we can have that perfect harmony. God, let us work hard, but be willing to quit our jobs if necessary in order to abide in you. Don't let us think that we're gaining everything but losing it all truly because we're so focused on work or things, possessions. God, don't let us be weighed down by them. God, help us to obey gladly, trusting that you have the best plan for us And help us to sacrifice generously, trusting that you have it all laid up for us. And that we should store up treasures in heaven where rust and moth don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Lord, we know that all of this will show where our heart is. God, we need you for this. We want your rest. We want your joy. We want to be fruitful for you, but it doesn't happen any other way. I pray you do it in our lives. Help us to obey you gladly. In Jesus' name, amen.